it's been a journey to get to this part where we talk about the the final step. So oftentimes people think when we talk in terms of harvest that the harvest itself is the end of the story, but typically just bringing in the crop or bringing in the blessing is, is only part of it. There's still work to be done. But the very last piece is something that is instructed by Scripture and by God for us to do. And there's a celebration that comes and a remembrance of what God has done that comes in as part of the story. So today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy that describes the instruction that God gave concerning what the children of Israel should do when the harvest was complete and in the right season annually what they should do as a result. So if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and you'll look to verse number 9. And when you find verse number 9, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Deuteronomy 16, verse number 9. I know some of you are like, that is at the other end of the book. But yeah. Verse number 9 and following reads this way. It says, You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. At the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall observe the feast of the tabernacle seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacle. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to these scriptures, we're reminded that these passages set the tone. They were instruction for a nation, faithful followers of the Almighty, that they should remember the harvest as a blessing from your hands. And as a result, they should celebrate and they should set apart time in their schedule to celebrate. Lord, as we come into a season of celebration, I pray that we would remember you. And Lord, and not come empty-handed to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This seems like a peculiar passage, you know, in the vein of all that we've been talking about. And, and through the process, we talked about preparation, we talked about planting, we've talked about watering and waiting, and, and certainly for gathering or harvesting. And we get to this picture where now we're to the part where that has all happened. And, and when you get to that part, and the scripture talks about that the nation of Israel was given specific instruction about how they were to behave. They were supposed to remember God. And they were supposed to remember him in a specific measure of, of time frame. 
and there's this beautiful, beautiful cadence or rhythm. You know, one of the most powerful things that you'll find that if you have faith in God and you come to a faith life and you come to a place where you come to church, that it gives meaningful rhythm to your life about all manner of things, about the planting, about the harvesting, about, the, about every aspect of life beyond that, about grief, about the joy that we have, and about the manner by which we should conduct ourselves in every single thing we do. And so I challenge you when you look to scriptures to see, well, if you don't know what to do, find out what the Bible says you should do. Find out what the Bible teaches about every single instance, and you'll know that there's instruction for essentially every part and every aspect of life. Now, you might not like what it says, but you're welcome to talk to my boss about that. Because sometimes it'll ask you to be more than you're willing to be on your own. Sometimes it'll ask you to be less than you want to be. You know, there are moments in life where, where I tell people that I realize I can be extra. And if you ask my family, they will tell you, and I say a little, and they say just a little, and they're, they're not wrong. I can be a lot sometimes, and I know this. But there's a picture here where there's a right time to rejoice, a right time to celebrate. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I know some are still celebrating even today, and we'll have gatherings, and we'll still be doing it all the way through the weekend. And we're just on the verge of all of the stuff that will happen through the holidays. We're excited about this. This table that's set in front of you is a picture of celebration, whether you realize it or not. Remembrance, but of celebration. This place, as we come to worship, ought to be a place of celebration, a place where we celebrate lives changed. Baptism is a beautiful celebration. We ought come to sing to God because of all that he has done. We look to the scriptures and, and follow along with me now reading verse by verse. It says, you shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Lord God knew that he would have to instruct them on how and when to do these things. And he tells them, you're going to count from the beginning of the time you start to work and to a time past it. It's easy for us to forget, is it not? It's easy for us to forget that, that when the work comes and the blessing is present and the thing that happens is happening, that God knows that if he tells us to wait a little bit past the moment to remember him, that we will oftentimes look back and say, look at all that God has done. But when we get past it, sometimes if we don't, we don't remember what God has done, we'll have a problem because we'll be nearsighted about our immediate context, won't we? I have found myself many times in the course of immediate context where I was challenged to be grateful to God because I was losing sight of the big picture. And so I challenge you when you look at this, remember that there's something that God expects. And point number one, if you're going to take notes today, is that God expects celebration. But he gives a rhythm to it, an expectation. You ever come to the holidays? I know Christmas is right around the corner. Anybody in here ever said to yourself, I don't really feel like celebrating this year? Oh, man. The silence tells a story, doesn't it? Sadness in our lives or grief in our midst and, and trouble that we face or, or, or lack of means or limitation of, of possession and we say to ourselves, I don't really feel like Thanksgiving is, the, is a holiday that I want to celebrate this year. I don't really feel like Christmas is a holiday or Easter is a holiday or I don't really, you know, my birthday or, or an anniversary or something, we might say, well, I just don't really feel like it this year. And the, the point that we see this, that God expects celebration, is because he is reminding us that our feelings can betray us and that there's a rhythm to it. There's an expectation of reality that comes with saying, no, 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 you might feel off. Let me give you a, a cadence and a rhythm to life that is necessary. I think it's the same thing. Most of us would say some mornings when we wake up that if the sun didn't go ahead and come up, we would just stay right in bed, wouldn't we? 
Be honest. Some of us would say to ourselves, man, if, if it were just a little warmer, man, it'd be a whole lot easier to go to church. Nobody said that this morning, did they? I, I hope you know that I'm glad you're here. I know it was cold this morning when you got up. Praise God you came anyway. Some of us would say, if it was just a little drier, Brother Ben, I would have made it to church. If it wasn't raining today, if it was just a little less windy. And we have all these things and we'll be betrayed by all the things around us and we will use every excuse. And God gives specific instruction about what they should do in this celebration and about the rhythm of worship and about all the things that come because he expects celebration. He expects us, when things are lean, to look back and say, but we are grateful for what we do have. And he expects when there's much that we look back and we say we are grateful for what we have been given. And he expects when, when there's anticipation of the future that we will look to him and we will say, we are grateful for what will come. You know, I tell people this frequently. We ask of God knowing that if God says yes, we will be blessed. But we ask of God knowing that if he says no, we will be blessed equally powerfully. Because we know that he knows better than us. So we ask of God. And in this moment when you see the scriptures unfolding, you see it, it says, in verse number 10, then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering. There's a fistful of free will offerings that happen in the scripture, but these are beautiful because they talk about a right relationship between mankind and God. And they speak to a picture of, of this, this moment in scripture where they are reminded about when they should celebrate that God's word was given to them. I ask you this question, have you ever once thought to stop and pause and give God thanks for this word that was given to him to make a holiday around it? The Israelite children were challenged to give a, a holiday to this very time when they would say, thank you God for giving us the first five books to give us instruction about absolutely every part of the rhythm of our life. And so oftentimes we forget that it's in this very word that we find all the hope that we have, that we find every bit of instruction for all that we do, and we should stop and say thanks to God. And he tells them, during this festival of weeks, you should remember that you were given the scriptures. We should see it as a powerful moment. And he tells them to make a free will offering from their hand. Free will offerings are actually very significant in the scripture, and people were supposed to bring according to their abundance or their lack. And in moments when people had great poverty, even small offerings were completely acceptable. I, I believe this is why Jesus got so indignant in the temple when they, were, when they were charging people to buy the pigeons to make their offerings because only the most poor among them would buy pigeons to make offerings. And if you take amongst the most poor and you expect to extort them for the very little that they have to, so they can make an offering to God, that would, that would absolutely insult our Creator, don't you think? That we ought to make it, that these benchmarks of ability to come and worship God and make offering to God ought to, be, ought to be open to absolutely everyone. And there ought to be this picture. And so you see this moment where they would come and they would make these free will offerings from their own hand. And he says, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And then he says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son. And he begins to go into this picture over here. But he says this thing of rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments in life when the offering is hard to make, when the gift is challenging, when the means are thin. And as a result, you see this picture, but God says in the scriptures that he, he values a cheerful giver. And there's this moment where we come to celebrate where we're saying, the celebration is not just me recognizing what God has done, but me participating and being part of the story. My celebration is not of just the substance of me knowing that I should be excited, but that I should become part of the excitement by being 
in with my possession as much as I am in with my mind and my heart. You know, for all the criticism that Christians face over the course of the years, one of the things that we're criticized most frequently about is that every time there's a crisis or a problem that we offer up our thoughts and prayers, but nothing more. We come to celebrate God, we give Him more. We bless Him with that which has come to our hand. And then it begins to go into who shall do this. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you. Point number two, if you're taking notes this morning, is that celebration is for self, it's for family and community. Did you know that every single part should be invited to be a part of this? That the benchmark for being a part of coming to a house of worship. I remember dramatically, and this is a hard story to tell, but there's moments in my ministry where I've had an opportunity to minister to people that are having a real crisis, sometimes even conflict among people in the church, and they'll come to me, and somebody and, and will just, out of an earnest desire to be able to come to worship in peace, will say something like, Brother Ben, do you think you could ask them not to come? And I'll say no. And they'll say, well, but you know what's happened. I, I do know what's happened. And you understand that there's this conflict. And I'll say, I understand there's a conflict. But then I'll say, this is a public house of worship, and it's open, and the doors are open. And so long as people can act peacefully here, they are welcome to come and worship the king because this is where celebration is supposed to take place. And so we invite people to come because we know that they're never going to mend a conflict if they never have to face each other. And we know the right place of benchmark for people to come and the whole community to be blessed is that we might come and we might realize there's something bigger than us. And a celebration brings us together and says, we will celebrate that which we have in common instead of those things which we have different. And the reality is, is that when he says this is a community event, that he tells them it's you and your children. Some of the greatest conflicts I have seen in ministry are those that reside within the walls of, an, of a home. You know, and I tell people that there is a moment in the course of the life that I have lived that, that oftentimes there are broken families and they're broken from people that I respect a great deal. And I'll say, you should forsake your other, your other invested interests and you should challenge the situation that you're in with your children and you should go and mend that fence. I said, because if you had the love of your children, if you had the love of your family, you'd be the wealthiest person in the whole world. And people will, will oftentimes will look at me and they'll say, well, that sounds good. And then they'll leave right back at the same door and not take that advice. There's a sign that hangs somewhere either. I can't remember now. I don't, it's not in my office, I don't think, anymore. But on a wall somewhere, in a, a, a picture that I have, and I don't remember exactly where I left it. I'll have to look it up now. It says, I don't have time to take a phone call from you to give you advice you won't take. The Scripture has advice. And I'm grateful that God has time. And as your pastor, I commit to give you that time, knowing that oftentimes people will only look for advice they already agree with. Celebration is community is everyone. Everyone comes. When it's time to grieve, everyone comes. When it's time to celebrate, everyone comes. When it's time to remember God, everyone comes. Everyone is welcome. So much as it is possible, live at peace with all men, Scripture teaches. It goes on to tell us, beyond these that have been included, even so much as to say those who are hired servants amongst the number. Verse 12 turns and says, And you shall remember 
that you were a slave in Egypt and that you shall be careful to observe these statues. And there's this, there's this stinging reminder that God always seems to work into the story. Don't forget where you came from. You're not so high and mighty that you deserve to look upon anyone from a higher position, but instead from the bottom up, you should look at everyone and think to yourself, I remember where I came from. I'm grateful that I'm invited. You're invited too. Everyone's welcome. There's room at the table, amen? I think that it'll be interesting when we get to heaven and we'll look around the table at the people that we passed by and we never shared the gospel with, but somebody else remembered them. And we'll look there and we'll say, we're so grateful somebody shared the gospel and we'll feel a sting of conviction saying, maybe we should have done so. It goes on. The story continues to unfold. This feast of remembering, the Feast of Weeks, goes on to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, a, an exact rhythmic movement of what he just said. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that was established for the children of Israel to remind them that they once dwelled in tents and that they once were guided by God and that their proximity of their entire community was based about being centered around the Creator. And in doing so, they, they moved from place to place and wherever they went, God was right in their midst. And He says, remember that you came from being a people who dwelled around Me. And do this for a week. These were so important, by the way, these feasts that, were, that are initiated here, that when he talks about it in verse number 16, that it was required that all the males would have to come and be present. It was unacceptable for them to avoid it. doesn't matter how you feel. Whether you realize it or not, Christmas is coming. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing. And from your wine press, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Does this sound familiar? God is saying that they are invited. If you ever wanted to know, and this is something I think is interesting to me, that there's a moment, an invitation that you need to hear. You know, people will say, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was invited. Now, this is true, and I will tell you, and this is just a measure, and I don't need you to fill my inbox with invitations. That's not what I'm asking for here. But I typically am very cautious because, you know, my wife is, is big about, about etiquette, and, and her mom even more than her, and they will tell me there are rules about certain things. And so if you have a thing, and you want me to come, and you don't tell me about it, and you say, well, of course you're invited. I, I don't know about it. I probably won't come. If I don't know about it, I sure won't come. But if I know about it, and I don't get an invite, I probably won't come. And this is not, I'm not asking you for the invite. What I'm saying is, is that aren't you glad that it's not like this with God because the invitation is written here in the scriptures forever and for always that whenever it's time to celebrate, you are invited. That the scripture says that, that whosoever believes, you're invited. There's not a seat at this table that is unoccupied in a way that doesn't burden me. Because everyone's invited. And there's not an occupied seat at this table where everybody's come here that has any more right to be there than anyone else. And you see this picture where he's talking about this feast. He's talking about the gathered in the thing. You know, I, I was moved in the moment as thinking about this and preparing for this uh, over the course of the weeks of working on this series that there's this, this stirring image in my head that just continues to pop up every time I think about it. That we might 
like the children of Israel, when it comes time to celebrate, that we might remember, because the grandest picture of celebration that I can imagine in all of Scripture is that one, the picture of, of heaven and of revelation, where all the, the all these moments of these crowns being laid at the feet of Jesus and all this holy, holy, holy kind of picture, this grand audience before God that is just giving Jesus all of the adoration that he deserves in this celebration that's there. And I hope that this image that I give you will stick with you like it's been with me, that when we bow our heads before him and we lay down whatever treasure we have, we have to offer him, that what we'll say is, to our king, we have taken every single inch of soil that you've asked us to prepare and we have prepared it. That we have planted every seed that you have given us. That we have left none in the storehouse because you have expected us to work it. And we have, as a result, watered it and we have waited. We haven't abandoned it in the soil, but we have been patient with it. And now we are here to gather it. And if we have gathered it, we bring it with us so that you might see it. And when they come before God in these moments with everything that they have gathered, they say, we have been faithful in the harvest because we started in the preparation and we have been faithful throughout. And I hope that when we get to glory, we can say to our king, we have been faithful in every single thing that you have given us because that is the demand upon us that we might not come empty-handed as the scripture warns us against. And the picture for us is this, that we will work from beginning to end with it, not just celebrate at the end. It's hard to celebrate at the end if you haven't worked all along. And yet somehow we're still invited, amen? You guys don't sound excited. Verse 15, seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce, and in all the work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. You know what's really neat as a pastor? What's really neat is that when we begin to do some work, and something begins to happen as a result of it, that we begin to see something begin to mature, and as a result ripen, and, and, and come to a place of, of life transformation, and we get to see it. What's really neat is that we get to be a part of that, and it's really cool because I'm a big picture guy and sometimes I look back and I see how the dots connect and I say, oh, well, this person and this and this person talked to them and before you know it, they invited them to church and now they come and their kids come and they go to camp and their kids make a decision and then mom and dad say, we need to know more and then they make a decision to follow Jesus and before you know it, the whole family's coming and then they're just a regular fixture here and they get to bring their friends and other people. Those stories are all throughout this church. That's what we look back on when we come to celebrate. We say, look at all of this. Look at the magnificent nature of how all of this is stitched together. Think on the person who led you to Jesus. Think on the person who led them to Jesus. Think on the person who prepared and labored over the sermons and who vacuumed the floors and made it all right and all the things that happened in the course of the work. And think on the people who decided to, to surrender to a call to God and go and do the work so that you might hear the gospel clearly. And then think about the magnitude of this. And when you come to celebrate, realize that if you will apply your gifts and talents, that God will bless it. Verse, or not verse, yeah, well, verse number you know, 15, as we see this unfolding, it says, because the Lord your God will bless you. Point number three is God's blessing causes rejoicing. You know, I, I'll never forget the guy that was um, the, man, just really inspirational youth guy whenever I was coming up that was just an outstanding um, dynamic speaker, dynamic personality, really. He used to talk about how in the school, 
how some of the students from our group would go, and they would talk to their friends, and he said there would be nothing as cool as when he would come to have lunch at school, and he would see some of the kids from the youth group talking to some of their friends and jumping up and down in the hallway, and then him asking what was happening. They say, we just led our friend of the Lord. And some of you are saying, in school? And some of you would say, well, that doesn't seem like the right place to do it. I'll tell you what, there's no bad place to meet Jesus. And you might be in some messed up situations. You might know some people that are in some messed up situations. Hey, let them meet Jesus in the worst possible situation. Let them meet Jesus in the best possible situation. Let them meet Jesus at church. Let them meet Jesus at school. Let them meet Jesus at work. Let them meet Jesus at home. All I know is that we need people to meet Jesus, and we need to rejoice. And if we get a resulting action, when we get excited about doing the thing, and we get to celebrate, we'll begin to see that it kindles a flame of excitement. And then we'll say, well, if they can share the gospel, then so can I. I can plant, and I can water. You know, and some of you might be saying, well, I'm not very good at either of those things. Well, then, then you might be the waiting leg of the journey where you might just cry out to God all the time and say, God, I need this thing. I want this thing. I ask for this thing. We see this picture here, this unfolding picture. It goes on in verse 16. It says, three times of the year, all your mail shall appear before the Lord. This is actually echoes what Exodus 23 says. There's a model here where it talks about the importance of this, that this can't be neglected. This is important. You know, uh, one of the things that I lament, and, and I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to be pretty, pretty you know, hard on the toes of the guys that are present, okay? And I know that the guys that are present here are doing the work, and we're excited about that. Hear me very clearly. If the men of the house, of the men of the community, if the men of faith if they lead in the faithful things, you'd be shocked at how much the rest of the family will follow them with enthusiasm. But I'm going to tell you, when I read the stories in the Gospels, I see the same problem there that I see in, the, in the, the church that I have seen over the course of 20 years of doing ministry. Oftentimes the men are absent and the women are beating the men to the feet of Jesus. And as a result, we struggle and we wonder. Here in this passage, God is making a very clear point. Point. He's like, and all the men will come. All the men will be there. Required. Man, I hope and I pray for the men that are present today that you might be an affectious kind of influence on the other men around you. We will lead our family to the king and we will lead our friends to lead their family to the king because it doesn't matter how you feel or what you like or what you don't like. What matters is, is that God expects us to come and he will bless those who apply their work to his, to his kingdom. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can replace this in your household. There's nothing that can replace this in your life. He tells us this picture of that all the men shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, another feast, by the way, and so you see the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacle. All these feasts are essential. They're essential pieces to Hebrew culture. They had much to celebrate God about because God had delivered them many times. Is that story true for you? Do you have much to celebrate God because God has delivered you many times over? Do you have much to celebrate God because the harvest that he brings is an indication of absolutely everything that he has done in and through the world around you. I did not always see it, 
but I see it clearly now. And he tells them to come at these specific times, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then it says, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. I was stunned. I, I was at a revival when I was young. I was asked to give my testimony. Now, there's, this is, a, this is a, a heartbeat moment for me where my, my chest was about to explode because the, the guy that had invited us to come and be a part of this revival, and I remember that the moment was, was real. Um, and this was going to be one of the very first times I'd ever got a chance to stand in front of an audience and tell them my story that wasn't my home church. And, and I'm telling you, my mom was like, hey, you're going to do this? Oh, God bless me, she's not here this morning. I don't see her. Um, she knows the story. She lived it with me. I was nervous about telling my story in front of my mom because she wanted to come. I didn't want to tell her. I didn't want her to know about all the things that Jesus had to forgive me of. And I told her, I said, Mom, I don't want you to come. I want you to hear this story. I want you to remember me as the youngest child in your house that's perfect. Because up to that moment, I had done nothing that she's seen that was imperfect, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. My older brother's here to hold me accountable later. I want you to understand the picture here is I didn't want her to know. And finally, because she's like, she was hurt because she was like, why don't you want me to come? And finally, I just sat down and said, let me tell you my story. And I told her about all the stuff that, that, that had been a part of my life that I had hidden from her, that Jesus had forgiven me of. And my mom loved me anyway. And, you know, and all that's to say this, you might think that God's not bigger than the thing that you're keeping from the people that are around you. You're wrong. God's bigger than those things, and he can help you with those things. It was at that revival that I heard a statistic that I'll never forget. Majority of, of churches, majority of churches in, in, in Baptist life will not do what we did this morning. They will not baptize one person this year. I remember, and I'll tell you, over the course of 20 years, and we have to fill out a form every year that records the, the documents, and it's not about counting heads. Trust me, it's not about counting heads. But I remember I sat down with a group of deacons at one point because I had to put a zero in a line that I had never put a zero in before at a church. And I said, I've never put a zero on this line that says baptisms for the last year. And I had to, and I thought to myself, and I looked at him, I said, we need to talk to God about this. I said, this is not acceptable that we would come empty-handed to the king. We have worked a whole year and seen no result. That is unacceptable. And the majority of churches are putting one or fewer down. And most of those are just relatives of the people that already attend. I heard that at that revival. It didn't matter what I needed to tell people. I had a different mission, and that mission was to go out and make sure that everyone got to hear so that when we come to the king and it comes time to celebrate, that we have something to offer him and say, we have been faithful in the work. Have we been? We have some reason to celebrate, though, don't we? Because God has blessed the work of our hands. It is amazing to me when you see these stories unfold and how God has given them this beautiful rhythm and this cadence. And he says, and every man shall give as he is able. And I love that it says every man. It doesn't say every community. It doesn't say every family. It says every man. Every person. The work of your hands. Blessed by God. What are we doing 
Do we have reason to celebrate the people that we have shared the gospel with that have come to the Lord? Have we come empty-handed today? I hope the answer for you is that you have brought today before you, with you, a heart that is ready for God to work in you in such a way that next year there'll come the harvest season that we will say, we have been faithful what you have given us and we have planted every seed in the storehouse and we have watered and we have waited and we have gathered that there might not be zeros in our personal life, let alone in our church life. You see, that scalding rebuke in that moment was, it wasn't just Brother Ben that was putting down a zero, it was every single person on that church roll was putting down a zero. We should celebrate the harvest, the excitement, but it doesn't start at the baptistry. It starts in the conversations that leave out of this room with our friends and our family. Amen. We're going to stand, and, and I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. I'll give you some instruction. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I'll give that instruction after the invitation, but I feel like we have some business to do with God first. So we're going to stand, and we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to pray. And I'll give you an opportunity to come. And you might be in this place today, and you might want to know more about this God that we've been discussing. And I would love to tell you. You may have already sorted it out. Maybe you're a little nervous to come forward, but you might need to grab me or Brother Barrick on our way out of the building today. But this invitation is for us to come and to give God every bit of our resource and let Him use it the way that He would so that when we come, we can celebrate the blessing that He has brought. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. An opportunity, Lord, to, Lord, to recognize that you expect from us to come. You expect from us to bow before you and to answer with, with rejoicing in our voice. Lord, we have planted. Lord, and we have watered and we have waited and we have gathered. I pray that that will be the excitement in each and every one of us. And that, Lord, if we cannot say that this morning, Lord, that we will say, forgive us, Father, for we have failed to do so. Please take us into another season where we can do it again. Let us, let us re rededicate ourselves in such a way that we can be dedicated to this work. That in our personal lives, we will not come empty-handed. That in our story, we will not come without an offering. I ask, Lord, for this audience, Lord, that we respond Lord, that we would bring our prayer requests to you, that we would bring our, our struggles to you, that we would cry out to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.